Father God, it is a powerful truth that you are on our side. We don't, we don't doubt it. We can't not see it. You showed it so clear on the cross outside Jerusalem when your son gave up his life for each one of us. And yet, Lord, our life sometimes gets so messy. Things just get messed up. And we get far away from you. And we ask this morning that you would draw near us. That you would overwhelm us with not just your truth, but your love for us and your grace. Convince us that your grace is enough. And this morning we can walk with you again and we can be in this room knowing your presence, rejoicing in the benefits you won for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to receive the fullness of that love. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go and have a seat this morning. All right, we are in a series, uh, Wild Women of Summer. You feeling wild this morning? Uh, I hope so, because I'm telling you, the, the, the text we're going to get into today and the woman we're going to get into, uh, it's, it's uh, well, it's like pretty wild stuff, okay? It's kind of bordering on the R-rated kind of thing, uh, and yet uh, that's exactly uh, what's in Scripture for us, and it's intentional. And I can prove that to you. If you grab your, your handout, by the way, you can follow along. I gave you a big chunk, chunk of Scripture this morning. And uh, rather than a bunch of little verses, we're going to just look at this experience of Tamar. Uh, and it comes out of Genesis 38. Now, what's so fascinating about this is it comes out of Genesis 38. But it's an interruption to an already existing story. So it's kind of a story inside a story. And so if you go to Genesis 37, in Genesis 37 you have the experience when uh, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, right? You know the story, Joseph, Technicolor coat, right? You all saw that on stage, so you know the story, you didn't read your word, but all right. Nevertheless, you know the story, right? So Joseph, the, the favored one of his father, the brothers are jealous, and he gets, uh, he gets sold into slavery. Judah, Judah, one of the brothers, one of the 12 tribes, brothers, he steps forward and says, hey, you know, don't kill the guy, sell him, let's get some money out of this, and they sell him into slavery. That's chapter 37. In chapter 39, in chapter 39, you go back to the Joseph story, and you get the experience of Joseph down in Egypt in the Egyptian Potiphar's house, and the whole experience of rising to take over all of the responsibilities of Potiphar and Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him and that whole story, right? So, the Joseph story is going on in 37 and in 39. And plopped right in the middle of it is 38. It is this experience of Tamar and Judah. And, I mean, the only thing I can get from that is that somehow it is important by virtue of the Holy Spirit's direction that you and I know this experience of Judah and Tamar. 
I mean, it would have been easy for the Holy Spirit to go through this whole putting the Bible together thing and what word do you need and just kind of say, well, you know, the Joseph story's kind of flowing pretty good. Let's not interrupt the story and just kind of throw this thing out, this Tamar thing out. But it doesn't. It's plopped right in the middle. So this is a crucial experience that the Holy Spirit wants us to be challenged by or to receive. You agree on that? Why would it be there otherwise, right? So let's get to the story. We first experienced Tamer, our wild woman of the day. We first experienced her in verse 6. It says, In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamer. Now, what's happened in the first five verses is really important to us. And it kind of sets the stage for the experience of the rest. And it really sets the stage for the first principle uh, we're going to learn. What happens in the first five verses is it tells us very quickly that Judah... Now, remember, Judah is one of Jacob's 12 sons. Very important guy because he is the leader of the, the clan of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So you see how this is in the history of Israel, a really important uh, person, right? A really important figure. Judah has made a conscious decision to move physically away from his father and to move spiritually away from his covenant relationship with God. That happens in the first five verses. Physically, Judah moves from being with Jacob, his father, to the land of the Canaanites. And in a covenant relationship, he moves from his spiritual covenant relationship because when he's in that land of Cana, he marries a Canaanite woman. This would be contrary to what God has told Jacob and his sons. So he moves physically away from his father and he moves spiritually away from the covenant and he marries a Canaanite woman. What's happening? Judah, Judah is now putting distance between himself and the God of his covenant. All right? Why is this important in the first five verses before we meet Tamar? It's our first principle uh, of the day. First principle is this. Life gets really messy when you ignore God. Do I get an amen on that? Anybody agree with that? I'm, I'm telling you, if you get nothing out of this morning, right, plant that one deep and hard, okay? Because it is all over this story. And, and it starts in these first five verses. Judah moves away, literally, from Jacob, and he moves away from his spiritual relationship with the God of his covenants. And as soon as he does that, things get messy. They just they start falling apart big time. He marries a Canaanite woman, and the Canaanite woman has three sons. And right away we see the impact in Judah's family of what happens when you move away from your covenant relationship with God. If you look at verse 7, this is now Tamar's husband, Ur. But Ur was a what? Wicked man. What does that mean? It means this was not only a bad dude, but he was totally covenant unfaithful. Judah moved away from his covenant faithful. Now what's happening in his sons? Same thing. Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight. 
And so the Lord took his life. So Ur pays the price for his wickedness, right? For his covenant unfaithfulness. He pays the price with his life. What happens? Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. Now, I know that sounds really weird in our culture, but in their culture, that's the way it went. It made perfect sense. It was called the Leverite Law. Basically, the Leverite Law said, Look, if there's a couple that is married and they're covenant people, and the husband dies, and the widow has no children, especially no sons, then the brother is supposed to basically marry her until sons are born. So the brother is supposed to kind of substitute for the older brother that has died, take his place, and make sure sons are born. So those sons would not be the son of the second brother, but they would be identified as sons of the dead brother. I know this is like really like A equals B equals C equals what is going on, but this is the way it works, okay? Right? And so what's the whole point? The point is to have children and sons to continue the name and the lineage of the older brother. Otherwise his, otherwise his legacy is gone. It's gone. And the widow has no one to provide for her and care for her. So the Leverite law was there to make sure the widow had somebody to provide for her, care for her, and that the legacy of the son who had died continues. Trouble is, Onan, he, like his older brother Ur, is not a good guy. He too is away from his covenant relationship. And so it says, but Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to do his the deed do, child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Now I'm not going to go into the graphics of it. The Bible does. It's a real upfront book. This is one of those R-rated portions. So I'll let you go read that on your own. The point of it is Onan makes sure that even though he was intimate with Tamar, she could not get pregnant which is sin on multiple levels. One, because he was not fulfilling his covenant responsibility. And two, he was using Tamar for his own personal gratification and not fulfilling the possibility of her having children. This guy is a bad guy. Do you get the feeling things are getting messy? Things are getting messy. Number one, son is gone. Er, Number two, son Onan is gone. Tamar still has no sons and no children. Judah now has lost two sons out of his covenant unfaithfulness. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Sheila is old enough to marry. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Now, this is wrong on multiple levels, okay? This is also covenant unfaithfulness on multiple levels. Number one, that Judah would go to Tamar and say, listen, you're damaged goods, lady. You need to go back to your dad. That was like totally wrong, totally contrary to the covenant responsibility Judah had. Judah, as soon as Ur married Tamar, Judah, as the head of the clan, was responsible for her. 
he was responsible for her and to provide for her and care for her and see that she got another husband. That was his job. For him to send her back to her parents was totally denying his covenant responsibility. What is he doing? He's moving further and further away from his relationship with his covenant God. And things are getting even messier. Now, for Tamar, she has to go back to mom and dad and the sisters and the brothers, and she goes back in total disgrace. This is an absolute disgraceful thing that Judah has done to her. And even worse, the text is honest with you. Notice the brackets. It says, listen, Judah does this and he lies to her because he has absolutely no intention of ever fulfilling his covenant responsibility and giving Tamar to his third son, Shelah. He has no intention of doing that. Do you see how messy things are getting? This is, this is one dysfunctional, messed up family, okay? Things are really getting messy. Then you get to Tamar and you say, now Tamar, the wild woman that we're studying, you look at her and you say, man, she has gotten the raw deal the whole way along, right? I mean, she's just been treated badly. She's just gotten the raw deal, the wrong talk about a woman that got the wrong guys in her life, right? Wrong deal the whole time. And you start looking at Tamar and you just, you just have to start hoping, hoping that she will become the heroine in the story, right? Hoping that Tamar will do everything right, that Judah has been doing everything wrong in this covenant relationship. Here's the problem. She doesn't. She doesn't. In fact, Tamar, Tamar gets impatient with God's provision for her and takes things into her own hands. So far, God has been looking out for her because Ur was wicked, got him out of the way. Onan was wicked, got him out of the way, and gave her the possibility of Shelah and still the possibility of bearing children. Tamar becomes impatient with God, and she takes things into her own hands. So the text picks up in verse 12 and says, Some years later, later Judah's wife died. And after the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira, the Dulamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. She now takes things into her own hands. And all she has to do is hear that Judah is going up for the shearing of the sheep. I mean, you know what that means, right? I mean, it's like, shearing of the sheep time, guys! Hey, that's better than deer camp, I'm telling you. Okay? I mean, Wisconsinites, you identify? I mean, when the guys went to shear the sheep, that was like... Whoa, let's shear those sheep. I mean, that was party time. Anything went. All was open. You know, the guy, late nights and some cut hands trying to do it the next morning. I mean, it was shear the sheep time. It was also anything goes time, right? What stays at sheep shearing stays at sheep. Happens at sheep shearing stays at sheep shearing. That kind of deal. You get the picture? Okay. 
So Tamar says, whoa, opportunity. Opportunity. And so she changes out of her widow's clothing. She covers herself with a veil and disguises herself. She sits beside the road and she waits for Judah. And Judah notices her and he thought she was a prostitute. That's what she disguised herself as. Because she had covered her face. So he stopped and he propositioned her. Judah's lost his wife. He's going off to sheep shearing. And he's ready once again to work, walk farther away from his covenant relationship. Tamar, not patient with God, not trusting God, takes things into her own hands and puts on a whole nother face, a whole nother persona. She becomes a different person. It's time to make the agreement. She says, what are you going to pay me? I'll send you a goat from my flock. What are you going to give me as a guarantee? Because Judah didn't have a goat at hand. So she asks for, she says, leave me your identification seal, its cord, and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave it to her. They had intercourse. She became pregnant. She went back, took off the prostitute clothing, and she put on her widow's clothes again. Now what's important is he gives her his identification seal, the cord, and the walking stick. Those things were absolutely vital. Remember who we're talking about here? We're talking about Judah, the head of the clan. He is the head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He is an important, prominent, wealthy guy. And he has a seal. You remember when he used to do those, those letters and, and you'd melt the wax over it and you put the little imprint thing on there with your, your initials or whatever, right? It's that kind of deal, right? That kind of deal. This was the thing he made contracts with. For him not to have that when he went back would have been like total embarrassment. You believe me, on the way back, he's calling up the, the smithy saying, hey, uh, can you make me another seal on the side here so nobody knows? I mean, this was a huge deal. Tamar takes the seal and the walking stick, everything that identifies him as uniquely him and his power. The story goes on, and what happens is what has to happen in all of our lives when we look at our lives and we realize how messy they become. Now, look at this story. How messed up is this story? I mean, this is messed up. Judas messed up over and over and over again. Tamar takes things into her own hands. She messes up, has a one-night stand, has, has, uh, is intimate with her father-in-law. I think that's under the realm of incest, right? A game for the whole family. I mean, this is not a good thing. This is messy stuff. Three months later, three months later, the question is asked that we all have to ask when life gets messy. It goes like this. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like the prostitute. Now, because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out. Let her be burned, Judah demanded. By the way, Judah is like totally over the top in his reaction, saying she should be burned. I mean, like we all know, the punishment for adultery is be, not being burned, but being stoned, right? Remember the woman brought before Jesus, right? So this is like over the top to have her burned. This is, this is, and notice, he sent her away to say, look, I'm not going to be responsible. You go back to dad and mom. But as soon as he hears this story, what does he do? He steps in and says, whoa, that's my responsibility. 
and he's ready to enact judgment. How quick are we to point the finger at somebody else? I'm just saying. That's what he does. It says, but as they were taking, taking her out to kill her, she sent a message to her father in law The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately and said, She's more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila, and Judah never slept with Tamar again. What has to happen? We call these come-to-Jesus moments in the New Testament, right? It's what it is. It's the question when you're finally ready to look at the mess. You're ready to look at the mess. And you're ready to say, wait a minute. How far away from God have I gone here? Judah went so far away from his covenant God. Tamar, impatient, took things in her own hands. So far away. It takes that moment when we're able to just stop in the midst of the messiness and ask the question, what are we doing? When God promises so much for our life, why do we go ahead and let it get so messy? We can stop and ask that question because there's a truth in the Scripture. It's a simple, overwhelming, powerful truth. It says God has enough grace. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. Some of you today are sitting here and you're listening to to Judah and Tamar and their story and you're looking how messed up, how messed up that is. And you know your life is not so far away, right? Messed. Messed. Because you're just not walking right and tight. Messed up. The good news is that when life gets messed up, that's exactly where God is. Think about this one. Can you think of a messier place? Can you think of a messier place than that hill outside of Jerusalem that had a cross with Jesus hanging on it covered in scars, covered in whip marks, covered in a crown of thorns, covered in blood, with nails through his hand, insults flying against him, anger in the air, darkness covering the earth. Can you think of a more messed up place than that moment? And that's exactly where God was. That's where his grace was on display for the entire world and all of history to see. That's what he wants you to see this morning. No matter how messed up your life has become, no matter how messed up your family has become, no matter how messed up your work life has become, no matter how messed up life is, God's grace is greater and bigger than your mess. And he's in the middle of it. That's where he goes. And the invitation is to just stop and ask the question. Just stop for a moment and let his grace be enough. Paul did that. Paul was struggling in his life. His life was messed up. He had this physical problem. And he came to God and he came to God. And the answer came back saying, listen, Paul, my grace is what? It's enough. 
It's enough for you. It is absolutely enough for you. When you are weakest, he is able to be strongest. When your life is messed up, he is willing to enter in. He is greater and bigger than the mess that we create. He is greater and bigger than the mess Judah and Tamar created. And it's proven in the story. It's proven in the text. Even though Judah did it all wrong, even though Tamar did it all wrong, what happens? God's grace. God's grace. And it's not just grace. It's overwhelming and abundant in Tamar's life. She suffered all this injustice. And now she has this one-night stand with her father-in-law, everything outside of the covenants. And yet what happens? She gets pregnant. And when it's time for her to give birth, they found out it's not just one child, it's two. Here she is this whole time waiting for just one son to be born into her life. And now, two. Out of the mess, two. It's even greater. God uses messy people to do kingdom things because out of that mess, out of Tamar, out of Judah, one of those sons appears in the line, in the lineage of Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. Here's where it is. It's out of Matthew 1. Didn't give you the citation. It's Matthew 1. It's the whole genealogy of Jesus. And it says, Judah, the guy we've been talking, talking about, was the father of Perez and Zerah. Those are the names of the twins. It says there, their mother was Tamar. There she is, this wild woman. And look what happens. Perez was the father of Hezron. How does the line of God's covenant faithfulness continue? Through Perez. Through the mess. Remember something. You ready? Remember this. How many sons did Judah have by his, by his wife? Three. Do the math. Two died. How many are left? One. Shelah. What did he do? He protected Shelah. He made sure that Tamar didn't get her hands on him because he was convinced she was bad news. He protected him. He made sure that he would have a life. He made sure that his ancestry would continue through Shelah. And guess who God didn't choose? He didn't choose the one Judah did. He didn't choose the one Judah protected. He chose the kid that came out of the mess. That's grace. That's incredible grace. Out of the mess. He chooses to continue the line and the lineage that would lead to David and the line and the lineage that would lead to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and your Lord and mine. That is amazing. And that is grace. Grace. All because he made a covenant to a guy named Abraham. He made a covenant to Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they had their problems staying in covenant too. And they took things in their own hand too, and it came to kids. Remember that? The covenant stood, and God's faithfulness is sure. And that leads us to this morning and this moment. When God, through Tamar, this wild woman gives you a simple invitation. Go ahead and recognize the mess. And give it to Jesus Christ, 
because His grace is enough. His forgiveness is greater than any mess you've ever made in your life. And the future He has for you is the same future that He accomplished through a kid named Perez, that you could carry the message of the Savior of the world to other people in their mess. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. It, it is incredible. It's just incredible. We thank you that you wouldn't let us miss Genesis 38. This wild woman and this man who got so messed up, both of them, and our lives get so messed up too, they're just like us. We know it's because we don't listen and we ignore you and we don't stay faithful. And yet you won't let go. So this morning we ask, as we come to you, we just want to say we're sorry for the mess. We want to face it, recognize it. We want to put it to you and say, forgive us. Forgive us in your son, Jesus. Make us new people in this moment. Bring us back to you. Be near to us in this moment. Forgive us and help us to put one step, one foot in front of another. To do it in a way that walks in faithfulness and righteousness. Use us as you use these broken people to accomplish your purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.